0: Hey everyone, it's Sarah, and if you're anything like me, I'm gonna warn you right now, Anna's story might fill you with rage. She's so young, yet is doing remarkably well after a mentor figure groomed her to try to steal her innocence and derail her life. I'm gonna be honest, she and I both questioned whether or not she should hold details back or censor herself. While thinking about it, I just couldn't get the other people out of my head who have been in her shoes and have never had anyone speak for them. If that's you, you don't deserve to have your experience edited or watered down for entertainment purposes or an easy listening experience for consumers. My goal is to validate or educate whoever needs it. So with that, I will say this is Anna's story as it happened, and it's sexually explicit. Like most stories shared on my podcast, it's definitely not content appropriate for little ears or anyone sensitive to stories of sexual abuse or violence. Other sensitive topics mentioned are suicide and murder. And I'm going to let you know right now to do my best to ease the pain at the end. This is going to be a two parter.
1: I was 18 years old. I might have just turned 18, too. I'm currently 23, so it's been five years uh, since this all began. When I was 18, I had just graduated from college the year before. I was homeschooled, so I was able to jump ahead a little bit, and I actually finished up my college degree or my certification when I was 18, so I was already working in the medical field. I worked at a doctor's office. I was definitely the youngest there. When you're in a doctor's office, it's just a bunch of 40-year-old ladies working, and then there was me. It was a fun time. I really loved my job, though. I was still living with my parents, especially since I was young. I was really close with my parents and my siblings. I have five sisters, so it's always been a full house. I have one older sister and then four younger ones, so I've always kind of felt like the oldest. I grew up in the church for a very long time, when I was 18. I was going to this church I have been going
0: to for about four years, maybe. Question, when you say you were going to this church, were you going or were you going with your family?
1: I was going with my family, so my whole family at the time was going. It was this small church when we first started going, but it rapidly grew. It wasn't a mega church or anything like that, but it was definitely not the small community we had signed up for. At this time, the stories beginning, we're still pretty involved in the church, and I volunteered with children's ministries, and I also volunteered at the youth group, especially because two of my younger sisters were still in the youth group. And so I wanted to be around them and really I'd like I was basically the same age as some people in the youth group cuz I went all the way from 6th to 12th grade. So I probably shouldn't have really been volunteering but I was I was trying. I was trying. This youth ministry at my church had gone through like four different youth pastors in 4 years. They were just dropping like flies. And it was pretty hard because even in my childhood before I went to this church, youth pastors notoriously just dropped whenever I was in their youth group. It was kind of a joke between me and my sisters that like, oh, whatever youth group we go to, they only stick around for like a year or two and then they drop off. So my trust in like youth pastors was low, very low. And so in a way I wanted to volunteer with the youth ministry so that they had a constant person. I felt really bad that these kids, or I guess teenagers were growing up in an environment where their pastors just dropped like flies. I felt like they made no connections. And so I stuck around a lot for that reason. I had a lot of anxiety at the time. I've been diagnosed with anxiety and OCD. It really flared up when I was 15 years old and I went to therapy and I took medications for it and I improved greatly within a year. So my OCD, just for reference, since all this, you know, all of this kind of ties in later, but my OCD was called scrupulosity OCD. It's a pretty rare OCD. Really, it's a lot of people who, grew up in like religious environments. To put it simply, I was completely scared of doing something God didn't want me to do, that like my brain would make up things that he was telling me to do that were really stupid, to be honest. Like you should pick the left cupcake instead of the right cupcake. And if someone took the left cupcake, then I would lose my mind and I'd have a panic attack because I felt like I didn't pick the right cupcake. And this led to a lot of things like being really scared of lying. So I wouldn't tell my parents night because uh, I was worried, what if God wants them to have a bad night and that would lead them closer to Him? So all of these things that sound ridiculous now, obviously, but I was super immersed in that when I was like 15, 16 years old. I overcame a lot of the OCD, but my anxiety was kind of peaking again when I was about 18 years old. A lot of anxiety around like hell and these spiritual things. One day at church, my mom came up to me and she said, Hey, I met this new guy named Chad, and he's a therapist. And he just started coming to our church. And I want you to meet him because my diagnosis of scrupulosity OCD was kind of a rare thing. And so she wanted me to talk to him about it just to give him some perspective. So, you know, I walk over to him. I'm a little embarrassed because you're like, you don't want to like meet someone and be like, hi, I have crippling anxiety and OCD. How are you? And he was super nice. He was So again, I was like 18 and he was 29, I believe. He had a wife. He had been married to her for like nine or 10 years. He was in the therapy practice for about three years at the time, I think, give or take a few. It's hard to remember. He was super nice and super friendly, very respectful. I think he didn't really know what to say with my mom just like introducing me with all these disorders, but. Afterward, I was like, okay, we'll never talk to that guy again. And then a few weeks later, my mom's like, hey, remember that guy, Chad, I introduced you to? He's the new youth pastor. And I was like, so help me. I'm feeling super awkward. And again, I really have no trust in anyone who's a youth pastor. I'm like, forget this. This is ridiculous. They don't stick around. So the first youth group they had on Wednesdays, I would come straight from my workplace. I'm still in scrubs and go straight to the youth group. And my sisters were already there. We go. And he's being nice and social and like reintroducing himself to me and everybody. And then he gives like the sermon. And honestly, I was floored. I thought it was a really good sermon. I couldn't tell you what it was about now. But I remember feeling like a lot of our past youth pastors were kind of babying the youth. And I felt like he talked to them in a way that they could understand but was still like advanced. Honestly, it it really hit me. It, It got me emotional because I went to him after the service and I said, listen, my younger sister, she was like sixth grade at the time. I said, she could understand you. And my sister, who's like almost graduating high school could understand you. And the way that you talk to them so respectfully, but so clearly, it's just something I haven't seen in a while with youth pastors. And I got a little teary eyed and I felt super embarrassed. I'm emotional, though. I'm an emotional person. I'm fully aware I've made my peace with it. Try not to cry. I'm like, that just meant a lot to me. And I said, I think you're doing a great job. And then I walked out because I didn't want to talk to him anymore. I was like, I'm not going to cry in front of this guy who <laughs> like barely knows me. So the second week, we come back. And I remember afterward, I went up to him. and I said, hey, I have a question about like your sermon. And he ended up saying, like, let's go into my office. And I went into his office with him. I sat down and we talked about theology for like an hour after church was over. I told him a lot of like my anxieties and my fears around spirituality and theology. And I asked him some really hard questions and he did not shy away from them. He really pursued it. And if he didn't know the answer, he said, I don't know, which is something you don't see with a lot of people in church sometimes. Uh, So I was really impressed. And I felt like he really heard me and he took me as like an adult, even though I was, you know, still younger at the time. From that day forward, after the service, we would talk theology with him, my sisters, and his wife. We would all like stay afterward, not every time, but very often would stay like 30 minutes to an hour later, just talking about like theology and these new ideas. And I had like this total in this like year that he was a youth pastor, I kind of had this theological reform and a lot of it was inspired by the conversations I had with him and his wife. His wife was always super supporting. She is and was an amazing person she has always been like the kindest and she would talk to me so graciously about like my anxiety and stuff. She was very introverted and he was very extroverted. So it was always very interesting to see their dynamic. So she would come with him to the youth groups most of the time, but every once in a while, she stayed home just because she was introverted and she didn't want to talk to people. But he always like, at least he seemed like he was like, oh, she wants to stay home this time and like accommodating, you know. He always was like talking about the ways they try to accommodate each other because of their different like social energy levels. We would all go out to like Chick-fil-A, the youth group leaders and him after church and like hang out and talk. So this was something that just slowly grew until he became pretty close with specifically my family. My sisters all really liked him and I really liked him. We all had like very different relationships with him and but they were all really good. My youngest sister, or not my youngest sister, but the younger one who was at the youth group, she was in sixth grade and she was always super excited. And he's a very extroverted, loud guy. So he would always match her energy. And just not a lot of people matched her energy at the time. And so he was very expressive with his hands. And when he got excited, he would sometimes like jump up on a chair and like say something ridiculous and we'd all laugh. The center of attention... At the Christmas youth party, some of the youth leaders made cupcakes in the shape of his face. We all thought he was hilarious. And my parents grew to really like him. After about like a year of him being leader, youth pastor, we were all at Chick-fil-A, like the youth leaders and him and his wife and me and my sisters. And he like takes a deep breath. He's like, I need to tell you guys something. He said, I am quitting being a youth pastor. And I was really upset. I was like, listen, like I like finally trusted you. I finally put my trust in a youth pastor. You said you were going to stick around. You're not sticking around. And he would say, he said, I really need to quit being a youth pastor because this isn't building my wife up. This is overwhelming for her. And that was the biggest reason I remember. I mean, looking back, I have no idea. I don't really know. But I was very upset and he told me and my sisters, he said, we'll stay in touch. I'm still going to stick around for you guys. I'm just not going to be the youth pastor. And you know what? He did. And I was shocked and I was really upset at him for like the few weeks after he quit. But then I realized, and my younger sisters and older sister, we were all upset, but he ended up sticking around. Our families grew really close. Me and my sisters would head over to his place with him and his wife. We would play games and hang out. And then they would come over to my parents' house where we all lived at the time and hang out and watch football with my dad and like talk theology with my mom. He was super into like the Enneagram and he got all of us into it. So like, we were all like Enneagram addicts. He would like go and do like, Enneagram conferences and speak there. And like, we would go and listen to him. His wife would always do like the organizing, like make the pamphlets, all those things. And then he would go speak. So when COVID hit in 2020, so I would have been 19, we like became our COVID family. I would say we didn't talk to anyone. We didn't leave the house. We didn't do anything except we would exchange going to each other's houses he and his wife lived 30, 40 minutes away from us. And then they moved across the street from our neighborhood. And a big reason was because they wanted to be closer to us. So we were ecstatic. So we would just drive, like it was a two minute drive. And we would go back and forth basically every day during 2020 and just hang out with each other. My parents had started like a home church at this time because we decided to leave that church we were at and Chad and his wife also decided to leave. And so Chad and his wife really encouraged my mom to start a home church. And, you know, she had some other encouragement too, but Chad like was very passionate. He's like, you should start this home church. So she did. We took a break during COVID, but then we have like our own mini like home church. Like they would come over Sundays and we'd all talk about it. And share food. And then we would just on Sunday nights, me and my older sister would go over to their place and watch movies and TV shows. I mean, we were inseparable. And I remember telling Chad one day, oh, you should be the officiant at my wedding. Like if I ever get married, you should marry us. And he was like, I'm so honored. And my older sister was like, yes,
0: I agree. And that was our plan. It truly sounds like you guys became family.
1: Oh, I really, I mean, I would call them family. I just, there was no one who knew
0: more about my life than them. And I feel that COVID especially had a way of bonding. If that was the family that you were seeing consistently, and that was the only family pretty much that you guys were doing everything with, it bonded you to the people that you were with in a whole different way.
1: Yeah, and I had a best friend for since like 2015. And she... You know, we didn't see each other during COVID. I would talk to Chad and his wife all the time about how it was really hard. And I felt like my best friend was kind of not putting enough effort into our relationship when it was long distance. And they like talked me through a lot of those issues. So, you know, she was always my closest friend, but really, in a way, they became closer. I started getting super depressed in like 2020, and I started to self-harm some. And they were the first people I told. I went over to their house and I sat down and they made me hot chocolate because I love hot chocolate and they know it. And we talked about it for hours and they really led me through that process and I got a lot better. And so he and his wife were super supporting of me. Summer 2020, things start getting a little weird. We wanted to go to this Enneagram conference, but it ended up getting canceled. We were all super upset, but we were like, let's go on a trip anyway. So we ended up going to the mountains. We planned a trip. It was going to be me, my older sister, and he and his wife. We go on this trip, super fun. We had a great time. And I remember one night, he came to like me and my sister, and he was like, I'm going to wake up early because I always wake up early. Are you guys going to be up? We could chat. And me and my sister were like, oh, yeah. And my older sister always wakes up early. But I set an alarm to wake up early because I wanted to hang out and chat. I woke up early and I go into like the living room area where we were staying. My older sister was not up yet. And I thought about going and waking her up because I was like, this is kind of weird. Like, this seems a little weird just being me and him. But I just decided like, okay, I'll just let her sleep, whatever. He talks to me and I don't remember what we talked about specifically, but I was talking to him about a lot of my insecurities you know, we all have insecurities. It wasn't anything like crazy. It was like, you know, I feel like, you know, you don't always feel like you can be your authentic self around everyone. And he told me, well, like on this trip, I feel like I finally gotten to see like your really authentic self. And I like love it. And it's so great. I remember being like super impacted that morning talking to him about it. And I was like, I'm gonna remember this day for the rest of my life. It's just the way we talked about I just really felt heard and seen and loved for who I was. And I started crying and he like reached over. We were sitting on the couch together and he wiped my tears off my face. And I was like, that's a little weird, but okay. You know, there was nothing worth like saying about in my head. I was like, you know, he's this youth pastor. So at this time I would have been 20 and he would have been 31. And so he wasn't my youth pastor anymore, but it kind of always felt like he was. I really saw him as a mentor figure in my life. Little things like that would happen. The summer of July, I ended up getting a Hinge account and I started dating a little bit and he got super upset. I mean, he didn't talk to me for like a week or two.
0: What did that look like? When, if you remember when he got upset, how did he find out you had a Hinge account? And do you remember what he said?
1: Yeah, so I told them because like we just updated each other on everything. So I was at their house one day and I was like, "Hey, I got a hinge." And he was kind of like quiet. I don't exactly remember what happened that night that I told them, but we texted all the time. You and Chad
0: texted alone? Okay. Yeah,
1: me and Chad. So by my knowledge from everything I'd heard at least, I thought like his wife was fully aware and we we texted over Snapchat Chad and I. I saved all our chats and I was pretty aware that his wife knew. And she always said that she just didn't like texting. And like, she told me that before, like to my face, she's like, I just don't like texting as much. So I let him do like all the chatting.
0: So just so I understand. So your understanding was that his wife was fully aware that you and Chad were talking via Snapchat quite a bit.
1: Correct. I was pretty, I thought she was very aware. We'd have like, theological discussions. And I was very open about it. I would come to their house later and be like, oh, like, and Chad and I talked about this over whatever.
0: And and were there images sent via Snapchat at this point? Or was it mostly chat?
1: No, we would just chat. I would send him pictures every once in a while, but not of like myself, of like things, you know, go look at this. And even like my parents or my sisters would be like, oh my gosh, you have to send this to Chad. You'd think this is hilarious. And I'd send it. So he had Snapchat with my other siblings as well, but they weren't as avid about it. Chad and I always did seem to hit it off more. My older sister seemed to relate to like his wife more. And I always seemed to relate to him more. And we liked similar things. And we both were very high energy and social and could talk for like hours. I mean, she could too, but she was just a little more laid back, low key introverted. Don't get me wrong, Like I thought she was awesome. We had this Harry Potter board game we played that he didn't like and we would all play it without him. We did stuff, but Chad and I always were more in touch. The conversation started getting more frequent, but when he found out I had a hinge, he wouldn't Snapchat me as much. It was very obvious. I would come over and I would talk about hinge and like the guys that I was seeing and he would be very standoffish. And it was very obvious. We all knew. His wife knew. I knew. We were all like, this is weird. Why are you upset about this? And he'd be like, I don't know. He's very social and extra. And so it was very obvious. Even it seemed a little dramatic. One night, we were texting. It was like eight o'clock. And it becomes this hours long text conversation where he ends up saying, Well, he and his wife didn't have kids or anything. And so he said, I see you as like my kid in a way. I see myself as like a fatherly figure to you. Honestly, it got me pretty emotional. I was like, wow, like I didn't realize, like, I didn't know you had those feelings. He's like, yeah, in a way you're like the kids guy I've never had. I just want you to like the date, the right guy. I was like, that's really sweet. And he was like, I'm worried the guy won't be okay with you hanging out with me as much. And I was like, well, they gotta be. Like, I don't see the problem. I was like, you're this married guy and we all hang out together. I was like, I don't really see the problem with it. And he's like, okay, but I'm worried. Like, they're going to think something. I was like, why? I was just like, Am I? I was totally oblivious. I was on hinge, but I never went on more than like one date with a guy. I had never been in a serious relationship. I was very into the purity culture. My family wasn't super strict about it. I just had made that decision for myself. And that was really important to me. That night, we ended up talking late. Then that was when I felt a little uncomfortable because it was like 2 a.m. And I was like, oh, I, you know, we should go to bed. Marco Polo was like, you said, video messages to each other. And so he was like, we should Marco Polo each other and just not say anything.
0: Just send each other Silent videos? Okay, Sorry, I'll let you keep talking.
1: No, I mean, I was also like, what? And he's like, just so I can like see your face. And I was like, okay. I just didn't get this guy at this point. We were really close, but I was like, these things are just weird. But I thought maybe he's just, I don't know. Like, I just did not think really anything of it as much as this is weird. I even remember being uncomfortable, like hoping that his wife knew about this. I was like definitely didn't want to have a a. 2am conversation with this guy if no one knew. I I felt uncomfortable that it went that late. It was kind of accidental. But at that point, I just wanted to make sure at least that his wife knew. But we did a quick Marco Polo. I did one to him. He did one to me. And I was like, okay, good night. (laughs) I was done. So the next day he was like way and now I would use the term love bombing. He was way over the top apologetic about the whole hinge thing. And like, this had been going on for like two weeks. Like he had been like standoffish and stuff. And so the next day he texted me that morning, I was going to work and he texted me that morning, hey, like stop by the parking lot between our two neighborhoods. I I bought you Chick-fil-A. That's my weakness. So I was like, I'm coming. I drove over to his car. I was like, oh, thanks for the Chick-fil-A. And he's like, I'm really sorry. Like that all of this happened. Then I go to work. And one of my coworkers came to me with flowers. And it's like, someone brought this for you. And I was like, what? I don't even, it said like, we love you so much. Or like, I don't remember, but it was addressed from Chad and his wife. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. And they were my favorite color. They were yellow. And we went and hung out that night, I think. And I even said like, that was really sweet of y'all to send the flowers. It wasn't like a secret to me or anything. Like, you know, they both, And he even made a point of being like, yeah, like we definitely both sent the flowers. He even like made a point in front of everybody. Like it was from us. And
0: his wife was in agreement?
1: Yeah. She didn't say much about it, but she was there. So things like that would happen. I remember thinking too, I had a panic attack in July and I didn't have panic attacks very often at the time, but I was at his place. Uh, with his wife there and they took care of me like very well but he put his arm around me which was fine whatever and his wife walked out of the room and he pulled me closer like to where my head was on his chest and then she walked back in and he loosened up and I remember thinking that was weird too but I was also having a panic attack and that wasn't my first concern things like that happened in the summer thought of things this is weird then I like brushed it off so we go on this trip And I'm on this high after the trip because I'm like, he loves me the way I am. Like, I'm really accepted by Chad and his wife. This is my place. These are friends for life. So he comes to me one day. It it was a little slower than this, but he says, I'm thinking about starting my own Instagram page because he's a therapist and he's like a lot of therapists now are starting their own pages and giving advice and stuff. And he asked me to help design some of the Instagram posts which it was a little bit of a thing because my older sister is more into like computer design stuff. She's has experience with it more than I am. She's more artsy than I am. So we all kind of thought it was a little weird that she wasn't doing it, but he asked me and I wanted to help. And so I did it and I was on it and I was super excited about it. And he comes to me and he's like, listen, I want to start my own business. I want you to help me start it. I was like, whoa, no way. I would love to. Then it comes to this thing where I'm like, okay, I can work part-time for your business. and work part-time for my job. And then he's like, no, I think this is going to be a full-time gig. And this is all happening over like a period of a month. Like this is slowly his ideas growing. And I didn't want to say no, because it sounded super cool. I was like, what like a dream job to like do a therapy practice. And when I really loved the job I had, I had been working there for about two years in this medical office. And I mean, I loved it. Um, I still miss it sometimes. And he's like, you would have to like quit your job. I told him I'd do it. I was nervous about it. But I was like, this is super exciting. And I was like, what could go wrong? Little did I know. I remember my mom approaching me around this time. And my mom and I have always had a really close relationship. And she came to me and she was like, listen, I need you to like try to not fall in love with Chad if you're starting a business together. And I was like, What? He's this married guy. He's like a mentor to me, and I got pretty defensive with her. I was like, "I'm not gonna do that. Like, why would you assume that?" And she's like, "I'm not. Like, she's just like, just be careful. Just because your guys are gonna have a lot of time, probably one on one, if you're starting a business with him, and I just want you to be careful. That's all." And I, I got pretty defensive, and I think you know it, it was a little riff. Like, I think she was upset with how defensive I got, and I was upset that she brought it up. So. We get back for this trip. and I'm jumping around a little bit, but I hope it's semi easy to follow so far. I haven't even quit my job yet, but I was planning on quitting in like three weeks or something. But we decided we needed to go ahead and start having work meetings so that we're on the ball for when the practice opens. And I had like a schedule, like this man is not organized or on top of things at all. So starting this business trying to help them. Like, I mean, I was there for the organization part of it really. I was very needed. So I'm like, we have to start working on this like two months in advance, at least. So it's like the day before the work meeting. It's gonna be our first work meeting. We were going to a local coffee shop and he texts me like, hey, tomorrow we should talk about boundaries and stuff since we're gonna be working together. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So we go to the coffee shop the next day and we sit down and he wanted to sit at the couch. Like, you know, it was like a very chill coffee shop. So we ended up sitting on the couch. He's like, yeah, I want to talk about boundaries because I'm in love with you.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I, I was stunned. I had no idea what to say. It's just, I, I, I still don't know what to say. I just had no clue. I was this conservative Christian, quote unquote, pure 20 year old girl who's just trying to start her dream job. And this guy that I wanted to officiate my wedding is like, I'm in love with you. Married, 31 year old man. Married for around a decade. Yeah, about 10 years. I was like, this is what this is about. And you were what, 20 years
0: old at this point? Yeah. I mean, at this point, I trusted him so much. it's already deeply ingrained in you who you think he is. So I can understand why so far these little weird instances, they're easy to write off because this is not, that's not how you know him. Not at all. So it's easy to explain these things away. And it takes a long time for your perspective of this person to shift into what he's showing you now, but he's done a lot of work for these last couple of years, laying the groundwork for who you think he is to you. Right.
1: And I just had no, you know, I had no idea about narcissistic behavior. If you had walked up to like 20-year-old me and said, hey, would you ever like have an affair? I'd be like, absolutely not. That is a stupid question. If you walked up to 23-year-old me now and said, hey, would you ever have an affair? I'd say, absolutely not. That's a stupid question. It's not like I had like compromised morals more than than I do now. I want to put this into context that I had like cried my eyes out to this guy. I laughed my heart out. I had shared my darkest secrets with him and his wife. And I thought that like they were going to be the people who are my family
0: for the rest of my life. Ah, geez. Uh, It's okay. I mean, not to bring you back to that spot, but. No, I mean, it's okay. Like,
1: I'm really glad to like share it all in like one big swoop. There's something really I don't want to use this like word loosely and I don't even really, but like just redeeming about it, you know, like no situation that's bad can be turned into good. It's a bad situation and I wish it didn't happen, but there can be good that comes out of situations like this. And that's how we see growth in people and people around us. He would come over and watch football with my dad and talk with my mom. And he had an individual relationship with all of my siblings uh, that was very unique to all of them. And he like, you know, did different things with all of them because he knew what they liked. Just seeing him interact with my family had always been like a really beautiful thing. And, you know,
0: his wife obviously was very incorporated in all of that. I'm dying to know now, what did you say next? What did you do with that moment? I want to
1: put this in context with, you know, I had this history of OCD and anxiety. And I think that definitely played a role in like how I was, used and manipulated. He's a therapist. He knows that. And I believe these past few months or even years, he had been doing little things to try to make me go soft for him. And I think that some of it worked. I remember always thinking he was like an attractive guy. Honestly, he's just like a standard guy. I remember like having thoughts about romance, but I mean, like, he was this married 30-year-old guy. Like, I never actually was thinking about, you know what I mean? And so I think I was pretty stunned to silence. He rambled on about something about it. Something like, you know, well, we're all human and have, like, urges. And I think you're in love with me, too. I was laughing nervously the entire time. I do remember that. I had no idea what to say. I am very embarrassed that I said this, but I I felt pressured from him. And like, again, like I, I think he had just put these thoughts in my head slowly that and I didn't even realize. And, And so I said something like to counter that I said, I think I might be falling in love with you, but because I had had thoughts of, you know, maybe in an alternate universe, we could have worked or something, but it wasn't like anything serious. Like I said, I downloaded Hinge. I wasn't...
0: You don't need even to justify it, Anna. It's a human response you were in. Plus you were very young. And at this point I might be putting words in your mouth, but I would assume putting myself in your shoes that even you admitting that to him in that moment or saying that doesn't necessarily mean you have any plans on acting on this or moving forward. You probably still assumed that this was all going to work out and never everything was gonna be okay, you just were in an alternate universe for a minute. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate
1: you saying that. I think that like if I think about the entire experience, the moment in that coffee shop is like my most embarrassing time, honestly. And mm. um I wish I had handled it differently. Of course you wish that you would have like had like this audacity to immediately shut it down. But I didn't I didn't know how to shut it down. And I had trusted him with so much. An affair was not even crossing my mind at this moment. I thought he was just trying to be honest and say, hey, we need to set boundaries because I'm in love with you. I believed him for what he said. And I said something like that. And I said some more things that I regret saying, but he argued me that I was in love with him, not falling in love with him. And I was like, this sounds like a preteen argument. And then he reneged. He was like, I am actually falling in love for you, but you're already in love with me. And he would not relent. Instead of this meeting being about work, this is me fighting for, I'm not in love with you. And so I had said, I'm falling in love with you, like almost as like a compromise. And just because I trusted this guy, I was like, maybe me having like thoughts about you is me falling in love when, I mean, that just never crossed my mind. Basically, the conversation ends with him convinced that I'm in love with him, and he's falling in love with me, and he's like, don't tell anyone. And I was like, okay. I go in my car. My friends, they always had called me like the innocent one, the one who's not willing to cuss, the one who doesn't know anything about anything related to sex. I was very known for that. I go in my car, and I just scream the F-bomb like three times as I'm driving home. I mean, I just didn't know what to do. It felt like I was living in an alternate reality. Just, you know, you think of like, oh, what would I do if like the the world ended, you know, or if the apocalypse came? Like, I don't, you don't even think about what would I do if like my mentor confesses that he's in love with me? So I went home and he called me and was kind of like goofy about it. And I like nervously laughed. And he's like, yeah, just don't tell anyone. He starts trying. So, you know, at this time I'm still working at the medical office, but I was planning on quitting soon. So he asked for me almost every morning before I go to work, he texts me and he's like, I'm in my car in that parking lot between our neighborhoods waiting for you. Like we should chat or like, I got you Chick-fil-A. And I would be like, I don't want to meet in the car with you. I would text him. Like, I don't want to do that. And he would be really insistent. And he's like, I drove all the way out here. It's not a big deal. We're not doing anything. I'm just giving you Chick-fil-A. He would give so many excuses to why it wasn't a big deal. And it's not that I didn't think it was a big deal as much as I didn't want to like disappoint him. I am people pleaser 101. And I trusted this guy. and like, So I would drive over and I would shake, just uncontrollably shake. I was in denial of my own anxiety. I feel like in these situations, and I don't know if other people can relate, but in these situations, I think your body just kicks into this survival move forward mode. And so I was in complete denial of any of my fear, my anger, or sadness. I was just like, move forward. I would meet in his car and then go to work. And then he would start without telling me, driving up to my workplace during my lunch break. And so then he's there and I don't want him to be there, but I can't just leave him in his car if he drove this whole way up here. And so then I would go meet him in his car and talk real quick. We would continue to have work meetings weekly. And at these work meetings, he would, with his finger, like we would sit next to each other and he was always like, oh, you should sit like right next to me. I was like, okay, because we had to both see the laptop I was using. So I was like, sure. And then he would sketch, I love you with I heart you on my thigh, like sitting next to me. And I was like, I just didn't know what to do. I mean, I never like initiated it. He would always initiate these different things that were so subtle that I felt like it was hard for me to shut down. But like, I don't know how to stress. I just never thought this would become like an affair. And so I remember, so this is a pretty like startling memory in my head. We were at a work meeting. I would get upset because he would want to talk about how like we're in love or something. And I'm like, we got to get work done. Like your business is starting in like a month. So in my head, I was just still in like, let's get it done mode. I don't know if I was in denial or what. And he went through my phone one time looking at pictures of me. And then he found a picture of me in my swimsuit that my sister had taken that summer. I remember he zoomed in on like my legs or something. And I felt super uncomfortable. I told him, I said, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I said it multiple times. And I said, could you not do that? Can you at least not zoom in? Can you put the phone down? I mean, I was pretty persistent about it. And he would be like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like it's a picture, like it's on your phone. But I was like, "Uh, I'm still uncomfortable. I didn't take that picture for you. He finally was like, fine, and put the phone down. But it took a long time. I remember being, I said, I have to go to the bathroom and I picked up my phone and I hit the home button to make sure I was on the home screen. And I put my phone back down, face down on the table. And then I walked to the bathroom because I wanted to see if he was going to pick it up while I was gone and try to look back at the photos. I came back. I checked my phone. It was pulled up on my photos app. So I knew he went back to go look. And I even told him, I said, I know you went back to go look at those photos of me. And he like laughed or something and said like, yeah. I, at that moment, though, realized, I think there was something in me that realized he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. And I think that was the first step in me feeling like I lost control. And like, no matter what I say, he's going to do what he wants to do. And so that memory is always like really stuck out to me. I remember him driving me over to my best friend's house. He was dropping me off. And I was like, can I please tell my best friend? I was like, she's chill, she won't be weird. I knew that she like loved me. I knew she was gonna do what's best for me. So I wanted to tell her and I wanted to tell her so bad. And he said, if you tell her, you'll be okay, but my life will be ruined and people will think I'm a predator. And I was like, you're not a predator. I was being very defensive of him. I felt selfish for even bringing up telling someone now because he was making it sound like you only care about like feeling a little more comfortable when it would ruin my life, you know, is basically what he said. And this is something that we talked about quite a few times. I would call him while I was at my best friend's house and be like, I need to tell her. And he's like, no. And then I remember multiple times being with my best friend and being like, I need to tell you something. And she was like, what? And then I'd open my mouth to say it. And then I'd shut it and be like, make something up. I mean, I came so close so many times. So then we were at the coffee shop. He's more of a mess than he normally is. He's really frazzled. And he's like, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, what? And he's like, my wife walked by my office and was like, hey, what are we going to do with the dog? Because they had a dog if we get a divorce. And he's like, none of us have mentioned the word divorce before. He's like, we've been going through a hard time, but no one's ever said divorce. And I was like, that's, your business with her. I do not factor into this.
0: What a very odd thing to suddenly bring you in on out of nowhere.
1: Right. Well, I felt like he was bringing me into this. And again, I was not wanting for them to have a divorce. I love both of them. I was like, you guys should figure that out. Don't factor me into this. That all is like a whirlwind of things that all happened together are really just making me feel a lot of pressure at this point. I mean, my anxiety just skyrocketed. Every day I would be shaking and trying to not tell the people around me because I didn't want to ruin him and his
0: life. Are you living at home at this point with your parents and siblings? Yes. And you're having to carry all of this on your own? Yeah. Meanwhile, are they still interacting with him and his wife? Are they is everything normal as far as them coming over? Oh yeah. So
1: everything is still normal. So I'm actually going to take a quick break here to put in in my younger sister. She was maybe 19-ish at the time. And she had started falling away from both of them, but mostly him. She started not liking his vibes. She is less friends with them. She would still hang out with them because they would come over to our house all the time. But me and my older sister would go over to their place and my younger sister would not come. You know, my younger sister was very introverted. So I thought maybe that's just too much energy for her. I think at the time, she was starting to pick up weird vibes. I think we all just didn't really know how to describe it. But I will say that. So everything was as normal. But my 19-year-old sister was a little more standoffish with him. I mean, he had put a lot of effort into all of his relationships with us. And he called my mom the mom he never had. He did have parents, but he would say that they were like, you know, emotionally abusive and judgy and never had a close relationship with him he said so he really like looked up to my mom as like a mom for him or at least he said so he comes over to my house you know we worked on a little bit of work stuff even with my older sister we asked her opinion on a few things i do remember we had gotten more physical in the way of i remember holding hands even while he was at the house like secretly holding hands and i would get like a little bit of that butterfly effect but it was kind of just you didn't really know what to do like We were watching the movie. We were all sitting on the couch and we were sitting next to each other and we were all like sharing this like big blanket and he ended up putting his hand on like my leg and I felt a little weird. And I remember thinking, I said, his hand better not slide up. I remember thinking that. Well, it did. And I mean, I looked at him and I I mean, when I tell you, I had no knowledge of the sexual world, not to be blunt or like dramatic. I had no clue. So when he did that, I was very shocked. I mean, my whole body froze. And he did look and he said, like, you okay? And I think I nodded. Yeah. I mean, he like touched me during like the last half of the movie, the whole last half. Afterward, I mean, I was like shaking. He left and he Marco Polo'd me again. And he Marco Polo'd me while masturbating. I don't, I don't know how to react. I am so uncomfortable. I would say it's one of the most uncomfortable times of my life. And he, I don't mean to be too vulgar. However ways you want to cut this down, you can.
0: I don't think you can make this any less vulgar. That's, that is the word for this. So I say be blunt. So
1: he, Margot pulls me, he's masturbating. He asked me to, which I'm going to state, I never had, I had no idea. And so I was like,
0: uh, I don't really know. So he's he's trying to like coach you through this and have you right. participate with him.
1: Which is not working. I want it to end as soon as possible. And so when he's done, I'm like relieved as heck. And then he starts talking about how he has so much sexual shame from his parents. And he goes on this big rant, which this is a rant that happened a lot during this whole time. He would talk about how he has like this sexual trauma. He's not accepted for having sexual urges. He feels shame around it. And so like when I allow him to like do certain things, that's really healing for him. And then I'm horrified. Like what if I accidentally give him sexual trauma if I'm expressing that I'm uncomfortable and then he takes it the wrong way? I felt stuck. That is the only way I can describe this entire experience.
0: And he calculatedly led you into this scenario because he knew who he was working with and he knew that he could get this to happen with you. It took
1: me like a long time even after this whole thing to really understand what it meant that he had been planning this. Grooming. Yeah. I feel so used. And after this experience, I feel like who would ever like want me And so not only do I feel manipulated uh, and because I'm like selfish if I break this off, but now I feel stuck because, you know, I have to like go with the person that I gave sexual stuff to. And so all of a sudden in my head, I have like this checklist of things, different sexual things. Oh, well, he put his hands between my legs, check that off. So now I'm spoiled in that way. And so I had this like mental checklist. And so I tried to grab control of like every little thing I could. But that night he told me we should never do this again. And I said, absolutely, let us never do this again. He's like, this was a mistake. And I'm like, I'm glad you think so. Two days later, me, my sister, him, and his wife are all hanging out at his place because everything is normal and we all hang out. Uh, Me and him end up leaving to go to the grocery store or something to pick something up, which has happened before. I think we went to the store and then we came back to his parking lot, his apartment complex. And we were both sitting in his car and he put his hand on my waist, my rib cage. I don't know if I was wearing a crop top, but he put his hand on like on my bare rib cage. And he said, is that okay?" And it was a little too close for comfort for me. But I was like, sure. Like, I I mean, you know, I was so nervous. And all of a sudden I say, sure. It's all like a blur in my head. Before I know it, he's grabbing my chest and he is really aggressive about it. And I I froze. I know I keep saying that. And I didn't say anything. Like his hands were under my shirt, but he he would try to lift my shirt up more and I would pull my shirt down. Because in my head, I still have this checklist. Well, this part is spoiled, but at least he doesn't see anything. That's one piece of like innocence I have. And I, I want to overstate that I realize this situation I'm fully aware now is sexual assault. But I, I understand that I was not raped. And I don't mean to be vulgar with the wording either, but I remember thinking in the car, is this what people feel like when they're raped? And after it was done, we just went into his apartment and hung out with everybody. And the next day, I, I really took me courage to do this. So I texted him like, I did not say that was okay. I, I had a moment of clarity. And I remember kind of being stunned too, because when I went to the bathroom and I looked, I mean, I was just covered in bruises. It was pretty harsh and violent. I remember texting him and I said, I didn't say that was okay. And he said, well, like put my hand basically there. And you said that was fine. And so you gave consent. That was like assumed consent. And I was like, no, that wasn't. And then he gets all upset. Like I'm sexually like trauma triggered. I don't feel accepted for like being like sexual, whatever. Then I'm done. Like, I don't want to handle him having this, whatever he's saying he's having. I was like, fine. I guess I did give you consent. I just wanted to stop. There was no winning with him. So things continued over the next few months. It very quickly got more sexual. Obviously, like I I wouldn't initiate these things for the first time. And I remember even telling him, I felt like I had lost everything. And he would be like, we should kiss. I said, we will not kiss until I feel like I'm ready. I mean, we were way past kissing, okay? But like, I mean, that was the last thing I had control over, I felt like. And I mean, we ended up, I accidentally kissed him in like the car because I went to like give him a kiss on the cheek and then he kissed me. And he would constantly tell me, basically say, you're in control. You can stop this anytime you want. And multiple times I would at least try to stop the sexual relationship part and we would always just fall back
0: into it. I tried so many times. Because he's saying that, but he doesn't want it to stop. No, not
1: at all. Nor would he actually let it stop. You know, I think if he ever, if he ever felt threatened that it would actually stop, I don't think it would. I mean, I definitely stand by to this day. He was a sex addict. Things would happen um, very, very often. He would just, again, just put lies into my head. Like, I think you are like more sexual than me. You seem to like want it more than me. And I was like, really? You know, you say it enough times. I'm like, I guess I am. And then I was really embarrassed because I was like, I don't even want to be doing this. And I'm more sexual. That felt really embarrassing. We would tell each other all the time, like, well, we said I love you before we even started this whole thing. We were family, you know? And so we would just say I love you all the time. And so I would say like, I love you. He'd say, I love you. And I'm like, I love you more. And he's like, I love you more. And then one day we got in the car and he was like, you're right, you do love me more. And he got emotional about it. And I was like, what a crappy thing to say. You don't want them to ever admit it. He's like, yeah, because you've done so much for me.
0: This all like is happening so quickly. So where are you at in the timeline after he sat you down, what it was like summer around July or August-ish that he said that he loved you for the first time, was in love with you. Right. So that would have been
1: the very end of July. And then things got sexual. I wrote it in my diary in code. So that was August 8, the family movie night. And then two days later was when we were in the car. And then things progressed sexually there probably within like a week. And so within three or four weeks is, well, first of all, I quit my job, which was a wreck. I really hesitated because I did not like the situation. I kind of felt stuck and I felt like there was no choice. And so I, I did. And like, what are you going to tell like your parents? Oh, I actually didn't quit because I don't know. Like, And what am I going to tell him? And so I did quit my job. I cried my eyes out to my boss. I think my boss knew something was up at the time. She's like, if you ever need anything, just call me. And I'm like sobbing my eyes out. I ended up quitting my job at late August, around mid to late August. He texts me and he says, I literally just left the apartment that me and my wife live in and I'm moving in somewhere else. We had a fight last night and I left. I was at work when he texted me this and I cried my eyes out. I didn't want them to to end it. So I went to the new apartment he was staying at and he was saying that he was really, really sick. He said he's been puking like crazy. He has high fever and all these things. I have no way to like test any of these. He doesn't have like a thermometer. So we end up buying one. He wasn't even running a fever. And I never saw him puke, but he claims, and he, I even left for a bit and then came back. And he's like, oh, I puked while you were gone. At the time, I fully believed him. And I thought a lot of it was probably the anxiety of leaving his wife. But now looking back, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe he was sick. I think he made it up just so that I wouldn't leave the apartment. He stayed in that apartment for about two weeks. And his wife was above and beyond nice to him and would drop off food at his place. All these things, because this man knows how to do nothing around the house by
0: himself. And at this point, you only know his side as to why he's suddenly moved out.
1: They got in some argument. I don't remember now, but I know he even admits to me that he said some really ugly things to her. Actually, I was really on to him about that. And I said, you need to apologize to her. So he ended up apologizing, supposedly. Again, it's hard to know now what he actually did or not. I later learned that earlier when he had said his wife mentioned divorce, I talked to her after this whole thing, and she says she never said that. So I know he's lied about many things. I just don't know what. A lot of them are a mystery to me. He even claimed that one night he woke up in the hallway, that he must have fainted in the hallway or something, and he doesn't remember. I actually told my mom about this because I was pretty concerned. But I told her, like, oh, he texted me this stuff instead of saying, like, I went over there. She got concerned, too. Like, we were both really concerned. We're like, that's serious. And so I ended up driving him to go get COVID tests, came back negative. This man is very emotional also. He, he cried about a lot of things. I thought I was emotional, but he was emotional.
0: Um... He's how old now? 31. And he's letting a 20, 21-year-old drive him for a COVID test and check on him when he's supposedly sick. Yeah. I was
1: pretty mad because I felt like he left her because of me. I thought he wouldn't admit it. And I told him that. I said, I don't think you'll admit it. And I said, that makes me really uncomfortable. And I don't want that. I want to be out of this. And he would ask me so much. Again, this is only a month in. Say you'll marry me. I didn't want to. And then he would get really upset about it. And he's like, well, we're doing all this, but we're not going to get married. And I'm like, and I remember using my OCD as an excuse. I couldn't tell him because I was like, oh, I have a fear of lying. I mean, he was really upset about that. And, you know, he was very suicidal at the time, at least is what he was telling me. And so I was worried about leaving him in his apartment by himself. He was really anxious and depressed about like leaving his wife, but then he didn't want to go back.
0: And so during this whole time, too, he's still starting up his own
1: therapy practice. Oh, it's a mess. Yeah, so I'm basically running this thing. This man can barely stand on two feet. When I say he is so depressed and anxious, he would just lay on the couch. He would have to cancel appointments just because he didn't feel like he could do them. He would cancel whole days. And I'm the one who has to reach out to all these people. You know, I did a lot of like the managing basically everything. It was like the first week of his practice when all this happened, when he moved out. I mean, we just canceled him left and right. But when I tell you this man is so good at what he does, his clients love him. They're obsessed with him. So these people will stay, even though he continually cancels appointments, which this will all come in later. But just a little side note, he had a lot of young women that he gave therapy to, one being a person that he confessed to masturbating to her Instagram photo.
0: He confessed this to her?
1: To me. So he can't be a therapist because he's busy having his own mental breakdown. But these clients stick around. He did cancel a lot of appointments these next few months. But I wouldn't even get on them. I'm like, dude, you can't keep canceling these. I was like, you need to just get up and do your best to just get through these appointments. And he would just be like, no, I don't feel like doing it today. I'm just feeling really depressed. And you know, there was no arguing with them. So I just have to call them and tell him it's canceled. But his therapy practice actually grew pretty rapidly, despite all of this. He ends up getting on the ball more because I end up telling him, I said, "I do not, we're going to get together. In a world we get together. it is not because you leave your wife like this. This is not how it happens. This is not how we get together. Like you are going to go back and try with her." And in my head, I was doing my best to like not be involved. You know, now I regret saying that, because I think I just elongated this horrible process. I meant to do that for good. And I obviously see now that it did not. That is not. And I don't know what I said, if it actually made a difference, you know, that man's going to do what he wants to do. But he ended up moving back in with his wife two weeks after moving out of that apartment. And then once he moves back in with his wife, he got some more stuff done with his therapy practice. It just always felt like he wanted the best of both worlds. He wanted to be with his wife. And then he wanted to also dream of this new life with me. I told him, I said, you can't have both. And I told him multiple times, this is not how we're doing it. It makes it sound like I'm like putting my foot down and like having control. But I mean, I felt like I was spiraling. And so in any way that I felt like I could pull myself out, I tried. He would text me, hey, I'm so excited because my wife and I went on a walk today. And I feel like we really made progress. We had some really hard conversations. I feel like we're doing a lot better. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? I just was so confused because I I even told him, I said, I don't want to be like your side hoe. I want this to not be a thing. I just felt so stuck. Total, our relationship, I never know what to call it, was like five months from like July or August to December. And it all just was so crazy and just got crazier and crazier. So a lot of it is like mixed up in my head. I mean, my anxiety, anxiety attacks just got more and more. His anxiety attacks got more and more. And I constantly felt like I was having to help him through his and like he wouldn't help me through mine. It was a lot of one-sided stuff. I actually got, I got pretty suicidal in like September maybe. And I told him, I said, I need to see a therapist. I'm feeling suicidal. So I would try to find a therapist and he'd be like, no, you can't go see them. Like they might know me. And I'm like, well, do they? Like, do you know her? And he's like, no, but they could. He ended up sending me therapists. He's like, you should see one of these therapists. They were in the next state over. They were not even in my own state. I complied. I picked one of the therapists he sent me. Actually, my car was broken at the time. So I had my best friend drive me down to that therapist's office in an entire another state. That therapist cried when I told her my story. I kind of slipped up. I didn't intend to tell her the names of everyone involved, but I did. And I said, you're a therapist, you're under HIPAA, right? And she was like, yeah, (laughs) but she's like crying. And so now I'm like, sorry. She's like, just sounds really hard. And I was like, it is. I mean, I felt heard for the first time in a long time. And so I went back to him and I told Chad and I confess because I knew he would be upset about it. But I told him, I said, "I, I told the therapist your name. He was very upset. During this time, he, me and my best friend hung out a lot. We once a week would go get dinner and go do something like putt-putting. And honestly, through this entire like five months, that was the best time I had when like we would all three hang out. It was like a little light and like this horrible time. And we would be goofballs. And I remember going out to eat and like throwing ice chips at each other. Like it was really stupid. But like for a second, like it was out of this really dark adult thing. So we were hanging out with my best friend. And so I told him like private, like, hey, this is what happened. I said, your name? He like barely talked the rest of the time. We were all together. And he ended up leaving early. He would text me, I'm super nervous because now she knows my name and she can find me because I'm a therapist. What if it gets back to me? I was like, don't you know that therapists are under HIPAA? And I told her not to say anything. I mean, he would mention it almost every day how anxious he was about it. The day before my next appointment, I had an appointment set for two weeks later. And again, this lady was not under my insurance. Like I had to pay so much money. The therapist called me the day before and she said, actually, we're going to have to cancel the appointment. I don't think I should see you. I was angry. I was like, why? She rambled on for a long time. Like I mostly see children, which her website says she sees couples and anyway. She does refer me to another therapist, but I just didn't go. I was like, I cannot handle Chad's anxiety about this. And so I just decided not to go to another therapist and just grin and bear it. That was just a lot of those five months. It was just me trying to do something for myself to better myself. It just backfiring. I drifted away from my family because every time I talked to my mom, she suspected stuff pretty early on. I mean, she was on it. So she would question me, like, where were you? Send me a picture of where you are different things that like she wouldn't straight out and say it. She would towards the end, but she would ask me and I knew she was suspicious. Every time I lied to her, I mean, we were just so close. I would like spiral into this anxiety attack and go upstairs and cry my eyes out for an hour. And then he's texting me, you're doing a great job. This is what you need to be doing. And I'm just so done. The only reason I'm lying to her is because he's telling me, you know, like it was very much, I felt like he was my mouth at times and I felt like the things that he wanted me to say were stupid. And then I'd say them to like my mom or to like someone. And then they'd get mad at me because it was a stupid thing to say. He would be like, no, that was the right thing to say. You're amazing. And every time I did something he wanted me to do, I'd get love bombed. And then whenever I did something he didn't want me to do, he's like, you're selfish. And, you know, these different things. It was just this cycle. And it would just get worse and worse until I was barely talking to my mom, barely hanging out with my sisters. Even my relationship with my best friend was hard. I hung out with her for like three hours one time, and then he got really upset. I didn't text him for like three hours. He texted me. Stuff like, I just felt really hurt. And I was like, well, I was just trying to hang out with somebody for a minute. He always talked really highly of my family. And before all of this, he would talk highly about his wife way earlier when we first met. But then like he would sometimes say some pretty crappy stuff about her which seemed really uncalled for. But when we were in our relationship, he would say things like, "Oh, this would like all be easier if my wife was just killed by like the black market." And I thought he was joking. Like, what do you say to that? Like that's such a weird thing to say and even if you're joking it's weird. He would say things like, "I wish I could just like go get in contact with the black market so that they could just kill my wife and then this would be easier."
0: Yep, the rest is next week. I didn't split this because I'm not into releasing three hour episodes at once, but I need some extra editing time and this will help me catch up. Here's team space and purpose right now. I am the one planning, recording, and editing these episodes. Shout out to Karen, Kylie, and Emma for being game for a late night listening session just to make sure everything is good to go. You don't know this until right now, but you're honorary and involuntary SNP team members. And thank you, James Eade in the UK for saving my butt by adding the finishing touches. And you know what, thank you for listening, for leaving such kind reviews and taking the time to reach out and share with me what these stories are meaning for you. It keeps me going and it tells me that this crazy project is worth it and needed. And honestly, that's all I need to know.